Razorback fans, welcome to this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. We're your reporters over at hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site and the Rivals Network. Today is May 13th, 2021. Got the date right this time. <laughs> uh, Hutch, how are you doing? I know you've got some allergies, so uh, excuse the uh, stuffy nose. Yeah, yeah, just kind of battling through it. You know, it's we've reached the end of uh... – or getting close to the end of the regular season for baseball. It's always a, a little bit of a grind, obviously, for the players. But uh, those of us who cover the team on a day-to-day basis as well, but, you know, can't, can't complain too much. It's been kind of nice. I was able to go on a vacation to San Diego for the past few days. Uh, nice to get away. Uh, but there was a lot going down. Uh, obviously, there was a big baseball series this weekend. Uh, there was a commitment on Sunday from Marion Harris at Joe T. Robinson. That one was expected, so that's always good. <laughs> I had that one in the bag ready to go, even though I wasn't uh, plugged in. Uh, but everything was good. I, I like this time of year, uh, especially when, especially this year when there's the dead period because uh, there's you know no visits going on right now. Yeah, it's. Uh... Probably only got a couple more weeks of that before it really ramps up because uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a crazy summer with all that because of how long that you know we've not had visits and things like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Eric Musselman will host Darian Ford uh, the very first day that uh, recruits can come visit, so that's big time. You know, top 100 in-state prospect for him. Uh, the Razorbacks, the football team, they'll host Isaiah Satania uh, on an unofficial visit on June 1st. So right, like right away, it, it starts happening. Uh, and then the first weekend, there's already like eight official visitors for the football team. So uh, a lot going on uh, once June hits. But right now, we're we're all baseball pretty much right now uh, and just kind of keeping up with these recruits in case they decide to commit ahead of schedule, ahead of these visits like Marion Harris did. But he wanted to do it. Uh, for Mother's Day. Uh, That was a big, big pickup for Arkansas, their seventh in-state commit. Uh, That gives them 10 in the class. Uh, And Harris, he's a a 6'7", 375-pound offensive tackle. Uh, They see him bookending uh, with uh, Andrew Chambly, the Maumel offensive tackle commit. Uh, So really good to get him on board. That's three now for Sam Pittman and Brad Davis. No surprise that they already lead the class in commitments. Uh, they have, I would say, an easier time recruiting than some of these other position coaches. Um, we had our guy, Jeff Savage, you know, analyze his film. Interesting guy. Uh, I, I feel bad now. I definitely should have gotten down to Joe T. Robinson to see him uh, this season, but most of these kids post highlights. Uh, not not Harris, though. He doesn't have any junior season highlights up except for, I don't know, like 40-second clips here and there from games. So tough to evaluate, but we know he's a massive kid. That obviously gives him a big advantage at the level that he plays. And the coaches, they've recruited him since day one, so they definitely see that he's a, a piece that they can work with in, in, in the future, uh, develop with the necessary technique and the stuff that he lacks at the moment. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, his size. I mean, he's been big for a long time. I remember actually watching him play. I want to say it was his freshman year. They actually played Springdale, my alma mater, and I uh, went out there to check this 
checked out because I heard some 13-year-old kid had already been offered by Alabama and Arkansas and a couple others. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to go see this kid. And, uh, just watching him from the sideline, you're like, how how is this kid 13? Uh, so, yeah, he's been on the radar for a long time and uh, obviously caught the attention of coaches like Nick Saban and, and, and others. So a uh, very big pickup for Arkansas to be able to keep him in state and uh, continue to build this really massive in-state class. You mentioned he was the, the seventh in-state kid already. Uh, that's tied for the most Arkansas has had uh, in the last, I want to say, seven years now. Uh, the 2017 class also had seven. Uh, and uh, there's a few more that are in the fold uh, that if they could get those, you could be looking at arguably the best uh, in-state class of signees for Arkansas or biggest uh, since they signed 15 in 2008. Do you have that uh, 2017 class pulled up right now? Because I wonder if the success rate of those in-state kids was higher than the out-of-state guys they brought in that year. Like, you you wonder, because everyone's always saying, oh, we need more in-state kids, but then do they actually provide more in terms of snaps than the out-of-state kids? Yeah, so the 2017 class was the last of Brett Bielema, and it was uh... – not one to write home about uh, would be the nice way to put it. I mean, it did have some solid pieces, you know, camera curls, you know, playing and, and doing well in the NFL. Well, he's from Louisiana. But he is, he's actually from Oklahoma. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Now, Davion Warren, he's a solid piece. He's from Louisiana. Um, just looking over, I mean, not really much. I mean, the Arkansas kids were Kirby Adcock, an offensive lineman from Nashville. He had to retire early for uh, injuries. Uh, you have Hayden Henry, who's still on the team and has been a, a contributor. Uh, Coylan Jackson, he's battled injuries. Uh, hopefully he could get healthy. Uh, David Porter, never really played much. Ty Clary, uh, he's, he's been a solid contributor. Uh, Gerard Barnes, he's transferred out. And uh, Monteric Brown is probably the, the star of that group, you know, starting corner and uh, probably has a good chance of, of making it to the NFL uh, But if he continues his trajectory that we've seen the last couple of years. Off the top of my head, that's not bad. That seems like about average for like a class in general in terms of hit rate. So yeah, you'll probably see about half these in-state kids, you know, become stars at Arkansas. So that's exciting. It's just about which, which ones those are. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, the Razorbacks may get another one uh, this upcoming month. Uh, Nico Davillier, the uh, defensive tag, I say it like he's French. It, it's probably not said like that, but uh, I, I put a little French on it. Uh, Davillier, uh, he's, he's from Maumelle as well, so he's teammates with Andrew Chambly. He announced he'll be deciding on June 27th. That uh, is, you know, towards the end of the big uh, June recruiting month. Uh, he'll take an official visit to Nebraska, and he already scheduled his official visit uh, for Arkansas in September for the Texas game weekend. So that maybe gives you a little hint of where he's leaning. You know, he's planning to come visit for a big official visit weekend during the season. So unlikely that he hasn't uh, called the hogs at that point. I know every single commit is working on getting him in the group. He was hesitant at first. I could tell when I, when I first met him, uh, he was like, you know, I might drag my recruitment out, uh, you know, during the season, see how things go. But obviously now he said it for June 27th, he's moved things along and 
Arkansas could certainly use him. I saw him at the Rivals uh, three-stripe camp in Dallas, and he ended up in, like, the top performers group for the defensive line, although he didn't end up, you know, winning the overall MVP for that group. That was another Arkansas target, but he won uh, the majority of his reps. I had a lot of good tape uh, to share of him, so you can go check that out on YouTube, uh, but you know, looking at the defensive tackle board, uh, he's definitely right up there. They need him, and I think they're going to get him. So that's that's good news. He'll also come for an unofficial visit on June 11th, which is another official visit date, but he'll just be taking it unofficially. So uh, that's, that's all good news. You can go check out the full official visit list as we know it so far uh, on the trough. Use code HAWGS30 to get in. Uh, that'll give you 30 days free. Uh, that won't get you all the way through the full week of June, though. So you might just want to subscribe. Uh, it's $100 for the year. Uh, but maybe, you know, hit, hit my DMs, hit Hutch up. You never know what we can do for you, get you subscribed uh, to Hogbait. So, so hit us up on Twitter. Um, Hutch, the Razorbacks beat Arkansas State. Uh, this week, that was a historic game. Uh, what was your takeaway from that? I mean, obviously, the world didn't end. <laughs> yeah, you would think that uh, based on how Arkansas fans acted for the longest time, that uh, that it would be the end of the world. But uh, luckily, they got the game in, uh, and Arkansas won as expected, eight to four. It got a little bit hairy at the end of the game. Uh, you know, Arkansas State took advantage of some errors. Uh, scored some runs and actually brought had the bases loaded with the tying run at the plate uh, in the eighth inning. Uh, Arkansas got out of it luckily and uh, did that that finished it off. But I mean, the biggest takeaway from the game I think had to be the the performances we saw on the mounds. Uh, it was a, a classic bullpen game where no one threw more than two innings. Uh, you got to see Jackson Wiggins make his first career start, uh, probably not his last because he's just crazy talented. Uh, gave up a hit. Uh, but also struck out three and two innings of work. Uh, we saw Heston Toll, another freshman, uh, continue to just pound the strike zone. He's thrown something like 75% of his pitches for strikes this year. It's something insane. Uh, and uh, we saw Lyle Lockhart for the first time in a few weeks, you know, the former Sunday starter who's, who really struggled his last couple of times out. Uh, he uh, pitched out of the bullpen and gave him two really solid innings. And then I think the one everyone wants to talk about is the guy who threw the ninth inning, Connor Nolans. Uh, he uh, imploded uh, against LSU, to put it lightly, uh, but that was his first time back after missing almost two months with an injury. Uh, so you knew he was going to struggle a little bit. I think he struggled more than anybody expected. I think he gave up six runs in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, so that'll kill your ERA. Uh, just, did, just got pounded by LSU. And uh, but he came back and uh, retired Arkansas State in order. Uh, got, I think, back-to-back -back strikeouts to end the game. And the last one was a strikeout of Arkansas State's best hitter, who was hitting almost 400 coming into the series uh, and doesn't strike out very much. So that was really good to see from Connor Nolan. If you could get him going uh, and get, you know, Lyle Lockhart going and continue to bring along Jackson Wiggins and Heston Toll, uh, then I think you're going to figure out some of your, your issues that are lingering uh, you know, as far as pitching is concerned. Uh, and even with those issues, Arkansas is still the number one team in the country uh, by far, in my opinion. So uh, get those figured out that, that that bodes well for the postseason. I did not catch your composite poll this week. Were the Hogs 
Number one number again? One. Okay. Number one at every poll. And I mean, it's not too much of a surprise. I mean, yeah. I, honestly, I was thinking about this today. You know, if, if Arkansas can find a way to win this series at Tennessee, which is going to be tough, you know, they're number five in the country, uh, then I honestly think even if they lose to Florida, like lose a series to Florida next weekend, they may stay number one in the country as long as they don't get swept just because they've built up such an incredible resume. They haven't lost a series. Uh, they have, uh, you know, just beaten all these great teams, you know, especially if you include Tennessee in that mix, if they get that done this week. Uh, Vanderbilt's lost a couple of series. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, some of the other teams, you know, TCU has lost a couple of series lately. Mississippi State, Arkansas swept them, and they've lost a couple of series. So really, if you look at it, Arkansas has really positioned itself strong uh, for, you know, postseason seeding, even if they do slip up a time or two uh, here down the stretch of the regular season or even in the SEC tournament. Do you get the sense that any of the players are, like, I guess getting, like, really excited for the postseason, or are they just reserved after what happened in, what was it, 2018, 2019? Yeah, I think I think really it's just they're they're taking it as cliche as it sounds. They're taking it one series <laughs> one at, time, game one at a time. time. <laughs> uh, but that's just because that's the mentality that that Dave Van Horde has. I mean, he he doesn't even want to look ahead and, and name a game three starter because he may need to use one of those guys to pitch out of the bullpen in the first two games. I mean, that's just that's truly how they've approached it, and uh, I think it's. Uh, I think because of that, everyone's just so focused on the task at hand, uh, you know, that they're just going to take care of postseason when postseason gets here. The Razorbacks uh, are on the road in Knoxville. You got 530 on Friday, 11 on Saturday, and 12 on Sunday. Are those all central times? I'm looking at the Arkansas website, so they should be. Those are central times. The game, it's in Knoxville, which is in the Eastern time zone. So if you think about it locally, those game times are pretty normal, you know, 6.30, noon, and 1. Uh, just early times for us, thanks, for, thanks uh, to us being in Central. I saw that once again, uh, Tennessee expanded their capacity for the game, uh, for the games this weekend, and they are doing a pig roast and giving away pulled pork sandwiches to fans ahead of the game. They're trying to make this a, a tussle. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, get get the environment, you know, going crazy. I mean, Arkansas has already shown what they could do. I mean, it's Tennessee, even with 100% capacity, is not going to have but 5,000 fans there maybe because mm-hmm. they've got a small ballpark. Uh, but uh, Arkansas has played in front of 10,000-plus at Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Uh, I don't know if LSU drew that much because they've been struggling this year, but they opened it up to 100% right before that series. Uh, and uh, – Hasn't phased them yet, so they may honestly feed off of that stuff. So, you know, whip them into a frenzy and let Arkansas kind of feed off of that. They've, they've been a better road team than that home team. It's kind of the reverse of the 2018 team uh, that was just unbeatable at, at home and, and couldn't, lose, couldn't win on the road. So, uh, really been fascinating to watch that dynamic of it this year. You spoke to Volquest uh, beat writer Ryan Shumpert to get the inside scoop on the Vols for this weekend. When we come back, we'll play that interview. Tennessee is a top five team and currently tied with Arkansas for the overall lead in the SEC. As I have the last two weeks, I wanted to get y'all kind of a feel for the upcoming series. So joining me today to give us some insight on the Vols 
is Ryan Shumpert, who has done a great job of covering Tennessee uh, baseball this season for VolQuest, the Tennessee site in our network. Ryan, thanks for taking, time, taking some time to talk. How are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you uh, having me on. It should be an exciting weekend of baseball at Lindsay Nelson Stadium, so excited to break it all down with you. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was going to start off. I mean, what, what is the excitement level around Knoxville right now for, for this weekend series? Well, it's very high. And, you know, the Vanderbilt series earlier in the year was very pumped up, very big crowds for that game. But they're going full capacity this weekend. They announced that on Monday morning. And by Tuesday morning, they've sold out Friday and Saturday. And by Tuesday night, they've sold out the whole weekend. So it's a, it's a lot of excitement. And first time we're going to see – Lindsey Nelson Stadium really full this year. And I think there's been some sellouts while, while Vitello has been there, but I think it's the first time it's the whole city, the whole community, the whole university is really fully behind the baseball team, seeing kind of what they've been able to do and the heights they've been able to reach. So excitement's uh, at an all-time high. And then you just add the fact that, like you, you said in the intro, two teams that are tied at the top spot in the SEC. And Tennessee hasn't won the SEC since 1995. So certainly a lot of excitement about this baseball team in this series in Knoxville. Now, what kind of style does Tennessee play? Like, whenever, whenever they're playing well, what, what's kind of their formula for winning this year? Well, Tony Vitello and, and Frank Anderson, who's the pitching coach, their whole MO is they're going to throw strikes and play good defense behind them. So that's kind of the pitching uh, mentality. It's all about not walking batters, all about throwing strikes and making, making teams beat them, which I think is one reason why this is such an interesting series is because Arkansas – has the guys when Tennessee makes mistakes, they're going to punish them. And Chad Dallas, who's Tennessee's Friday night starter, who's been really, really good this year. That's kind of been his routine against good teams. He typically gives up one or two home runs. He's been, he's done a really good job of making them solo home runs. So he still has good appearances, but Arkansas is the type of team that when he makes mistakes, they'll, they'll make him pay. And Tennessee doesn't necessarily have a ton of uh, high powered arms, guys that throw mid to high nineties. So it's guys that when they make mistakes, teams can jump on them. And then, from the, the hitting side of things, it's it's interesting as Tennessee's identity has kind of changed a little bit throughout the year. Early in the season, you kind of didn't see a ton of power, which was sort of the expectation last year. Obviously, it was a shortened season, but they led the country in, in home runs and they lost a couple of the better hitters on that team. But early in the season, early in SEC play, it was a lot of, I wouldn't call it small ball, but it was a lot of grinding out at bats. We're going to get deep into the other team's bullpen. Let's work a lot of walks. And they, and they still do that, but you've kind of seen in the past month, the power started to show up. And I, I think actually in SEC play, they're first or second in the league in home runs. And that's really been because of what they've done the past past four weeks. I think it was the Vanderbilt series. And then the week after that, Texas A&M, I think they hit more home runs those two series than they did the first four SEC series combined. So the power's kind of awoken up in the bats. And it's not, I say that, and it's not just one or two guys, like the three or four hitters that have been really going off. It's kind of top to bottom, one through nine. Every weekend, they seem to find a couple guys who, who hit a couple home runs. So it's, a, it's an offense that's starting to come alive and a defense that, or a pitching staff that's very much uh, all about throwing strikes and limiting walks. And you mentioned that power surge. That was something that Dave Van Horn mentioned to the media uh, a couple days ago and, and said that it's, you know, and the numbers really kind of back it up. I looked it up right before I uh, had you on and, I think it's 29 home runs in their last 14 games or something like that. Is that a surprise at all, or was it kind of there all along and it just took them a little bit to get going? I think it's maybe a surprise to the degree that they've done it. I, I don't think it's a surprise that they've picked up the home runs, and especially you look at the last three weeks they played, Texas A&M, Kentucky, Missouri. So 
Kentucky's got a pretty good team, but those other two obviously aren't particularly good. So I think they've benefited, especially from continuing to wear those teams down, those pitching staffs down, and then just absolutely unloading on the bottom of the bullpen. They did that against Missouri. They did that against Texas A&M. Texas A&M, they scored, I think it was 12 runs in the eighth inning of the, of the Sunday game. So it's a little bit of just taking advantage of lesser competition, but I think there was more power in this lineup than was suggested by the first maybe six weeks of the season. So you're starting to see it uh, pick up, and I think you'll kind of see it fall to a median a little bit, but I, I do think you're going to continue to see this power next to last two weeks of the regular season and then in the postseason play. And you kind of touched on Tennessee's Friday night guy earlier, but what, what does that rotation look like behind him, and what's kind of the scouting report on those guys? Yeah, so Tennessee really has they pitched the same three guys every single weekend, but their Saturday starter, which is Will Heflin, about a 5'10 left-hander, he's, he's a guy that I've been surprised how well he's done. Jackson Leaf was probably the best pitcher on this team. He got injured, tore his hamstring, was out for the year, second or third weekend. And Heflin was got a, he's a redshirt senior, four-year bullpen guy that's maybe started a few midweeks, but nothing more than that. And he's been pretty effective. Now, he can only get through lineups typically about two times, third time through, he starts to run through some trouble. But I think he's been surprising because when you saw him move into that role, start a role, at least my thought, and I think some of the other media thought was this is going to be a temporary thing. But he's taken the, the reins of it, and I'll say what's been impressive about this Tennessee's lost two Friday games this year to Alabama and the Vanderbilt and he's come back on Saturday with his two best starts of the year after that and in two games that he didn't get a ton of run support either and Tennessee was able to to, to win both those games and then on Sunday uh is Blade Tidwell who's probably the highest potential of a, any Tennessee pitcher he's a true freshman is kind of a power arm he throws 96 night can hit 98 early in the games he's a uh, very very talented consistency is sort of a uh, thing with him sometimes inconsistent sometimes he has to, to lean on that fastball too much which which gets him in trouble excuse me gets him in trouble and then uh the other thing he's kind of running some problems is he'll I guess he's had two starts where he's been really good one or two times through to order three or four innings then he gets into the middle innings and, and struggles faces some adversity and and kind of uh I don't want to say falls apart but isn't able to, to pick things back together and get deep into the games last two weeks we've seen him do that when he hasn't been great early in games and he's kind of pushed through it and gotten Tennessee six, seven, seven innings last week against Missouri. So he's a really, really talented guy. And I think it's going to be exciting to watch him against Arkansas because what I mentioned, you know, Tennessee, even Chad Dallas, who's been really effective for Tennessee, Arkansas is going to, I feel like is going to get theirs against him. Blade Tidwell has the talent where he can put up some scoreless innings and put up some impressive numbers against Arkansas, but it can just as quickly go the other way. If they pounce on him early, he can, uh, potentially lose it and Arkansas can get to Tennessee's bullpen early on Sunday. And speaking of Tennessee's bullpen, I was looking over the numbers. Looks like they've got a couple of guys with like five saves, another guy with two. All of them have pretty good numbers. I mean, who who is the Vols kind of shut down bullpen arm and who would they use uh, to, to kind of close games? Yeah, so Tony Vitello is big on not really having set roles. You know, we don't have a set closure, anything like that. Um, if anyone were to fit in that role, it would be Redmond Walsh. He's, I think, about five or six saves away from or taking the, the Tennessee record for career saves, and he kind of was that, in that role a little more in 2019, but kind of just because of the way the bullpen worked out. But he struggled really a lot early in conference season, but I guess going back about three or four weeks now, he started to be better. Um, he blew, I think, two saves the first two weeks uh, against Georgia and against LSU. 
Tennessee was able to still win that LSU game after he blew the save. But he's starting to get better, and he's a guy that's been really effective for Tennessee. But really, Tennessee's best bullpen pitcher is Sean Hundley, uh, 3.15 ERA. They really like to ride him. He's a uh, and he's a guy that kind of kind of the MO with Tennessee pitching staff. He doesn't necessarily blow you away with what he does. He only throws about 90, 89, but he's has a lot of movement on his fastball and does a really good job of hitting spots. So he's kind of the guy they want to lean on the most. Typically Friday night, it's let's see how many innings Chad Dallas can get us. Typically that's six or seven, and let's try to let Sean Huntley go to distance from there. So he's kind of the first guy you'll see on on Friday night, I would imagine. And the other guy uh, to watch out for, he's thrown a ton of innings for Tennessee, is Kirby Cannell. 2.580 ERA, a left-hander out of the bullpen. He's been uh, in a little bit of a cold streak the past two or three weekends, but overall he's been really effective for Tennessee. Probably has the best stuff of anyone in Tennessee's bullpen. Real nasty curveball, a, a good strikeout candidate. So he, those three guys are kind of the, the closer role. You know, they alternate. But in the biggest moments of the game, that's when you're going to see Hundley come in and, and Cannell come in. And then Redmond Walsh, I think you'll probably see him on Sunday. That's how they've used him the past few weeks. He's another guy that's really light throwing left-hander, even even less than Hunley is. He's 87, 88, and I think he pairs really well with what Blade Tidwell does, coming in right-hander throwing, 6'5 right-hander throwing upper mid-90s and then to a, a nasty changeup and a low fastball. It's worked well for him, and that was kind of the reason he was their closer in, in 2019 is they had a guy named Andrew Schultz who could throw 100. It was oftentimes a setup, man, and they like they to go him, to those two guys, and it worked out really well, and you saw Wall struggle a little bit early in the year, and then they kind of put him behind Blade Tidwell, and he started to pick it up. So I think you'll probably see him on Sunday. But obviously, circumstances can change that. Arkansas uh, pushes Tennessee's pitchers early from the game. Tennessee doesn't have a ton of bullpen depth. You could uh, potentially see him have to be used earlier in the weekend. Gotcha. Now, uh, one last thing I wanted to get you, get from you is kind of a big-picture question, you know. He's a former Arkansas assistant, so I kind of got to get your thoughts on, on the job Tony Vitello has done. Uh, turning the program around. I think this is just his fourth season and uh, to have already elevated the program to the level it's at. What, what, what do you thought about the job he's done? It's it's pretty remarkable. You look at Dave Serrano was the coach for Vitello and he came from, he was at Cal State Fullerton and UC Irvine and he made the College World Series at both those schools. And you're, you know, you're thinking this is a grand slam hire for Tennessee and just couldn't, terrible six years, you know, made the SEC tournament, I think just one time, never made the NCAA tournament. And I think there was kind of a thought that, you know, I, I think it's fair to say Tennessee's not one of the top, not one of the top, one of the lower, one of the worst three or four jobs in the SEC. And I think there was kind of a thought of who can win here. This guy can't win here. And it's been uh, remarkable. The energy Vitello has brought, the the self-belief, I think, is is what stands out the most. Obviously, he's done a great job recruiting. That was kind of his, what he was known for at TCU and at Arkansas and Missouri. So he's done a really good job with that, with Vanderbilt, you know, in, in the same state. But the, the way that this team plays is, you know, it's a top five team in the country. I don't think it talent-wise, it's a top five team. I don't think, think talent-wise, it's probably the sixth best team in the SEC. But the close games, these guys believe they're going to win. And more times than not, they get the job done. And a lot of that's because of the depth I talked about earlier, one through nine in the lineup. It's, it's they don't have to rely on one guy, which was is a big difference from 2019 when Tennessee returned to a regional. They had a good team that year, but they very much had to depend on two or three guys in their lineup to get runs. And that's not the case now. And it's uh, it's going to be fascinating. You know, everyone in Knoxville, I can't get on uh, the general quarters, our, our message board at VolQuest without having a question about what Danny White, the athletic director, doing to keep Vitello, what's all that look like. So it's going to be fascinating to watch this offseason because I'm sure teams will come at him and 
I just can't say enough good things about what, what Vitello has done in Knoxville. It's been really extraordinary. And, and the one thing you kind of, the what if is what if they played last year because they had Garrett Crochet, who was a number 11 pick. He was the fastest guy in the draft class in MLB, uh, a left-handed pitcher who's, who's just dominant, really, really good. And then two other uh, power bats that went in the top, I guess it was just five rounds last year at MLB draft, but both of them, uh, one went in the second round, one went in the fifth round. So, it, you know, you look back and you think, man, the team could have even been better from a talent perspective last year. But uh, it's uh, really, really impressive. And it's going to make for when the season ends an interesting few weeks to see what, what Tennessee does because there's a lot of talks about Lindsey Nelson Stadium and uh, doing some renovation, expanding it, and then also kind of an interesting – your listeners probably don't care too much about this. But another interesting uh, thing on it is the Tennessee Smokies, which is a double-A team in Sevierville, which is about 20 minutes from Knoxville they're actually going to move back to Knoxville and build a stadium in downtown. So there's some talks about the AD wanting them to play their home games there. I don't think Vitello wants to do that. So it's a, it's a lot of moving parts and it's, it's going to be really interesting, but uh, Tony Vitello is probably the, the most popular man in Knoxville right now with how the, how things on the football side of side went and how things on the basketball side ended this year. So it's uh, it's been a really impressive job that he's done. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you again, taking time to, to talk to us, kind of give us a little, uh, insight on, on the Vols going into this huge, huge series this weekend. Uh, before I let you go, I just want to remind everybody that, as always, uh, Hogbeat's coverage of Arkansas baseball is brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. Uh, go check them out. They've got locations in Fayetteville and Russellville. A great spot to, to eat before or after a baseball game or, you know, any day of the week, honestly. So go check them out. Great supporters of Arkansas and uh, hogbeat.com. So, Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time to talk, and uh, hopefully we catch up soon. Uh, the Razorback basketball team, uh, they just keep making news. They added another uh, transfer portal addition on Tuesday, Jackson Robinson from Texas A&M. Uh, he is the first, um, what, A&M to Arkansas addition for the Hogs in, in Musselman's time. So uh, a nice one that he recruited back in uh, just last year. He was a 2021 recruit initially and then reclassified to join A&M's class this year. Didn't play all that much, played in 12 games, uh, 9.8 minute average, uh, 2.1 points per game. Not not a really big contributor for Buzz Williams down there, uh, but they had a, a tough season. So, you know, never know how they, these things go, but, uh, Definitely someone Arkansas wanted very badly. He visited several times. He's an Oklahoma native. And he was uh, in a group of, you know, Oklahoma guys that they were recruiting at the time. So to get him this time around, uh, not your typical transfer addition for Musselman. He's obviously got plenty of time to be developed. Uh, but I think people kind of wanted to see that. They they want uh, someone that they can invest some uh like emotions into and to actually get invested in their career. And I think he's a good opportunity to do that as well as obviously, you know, Jalen Williams and Devo and uh, KK. Absolutely. And I mean, this is probably the most, to me, the most intriguing uh, transfer just because of all the various aspects of, I mean, you mentioned uh, he's a transfer from Texas A&M. So it's almost like the player to be named later in the Ethan Henderson trade. Uh, so you've got <laughs> that aspect to it. Uh, you know, you mentioned Arkansas won that trade. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, who knows how Jackson turns out, but uh, I feel pretty confident that Arkansas won that trade. 
Uh, and just it, and you mentioned how he was not you know didn't get to play a whole lot, wasn't super productive with the Aggies. Uh, but you mentioned, I mean, he, he enrolled early. I mean, he was playing his freshman year of college ball in the SEC when he should have been a senior in high school. And so, uh, and he also, I don't believe he was a guy that went and played at a uh, Mont Verde Academy or Oak Hill Academy or one of these prestigious places where you're, you know, necessarily getting the top-notch competition. Yeah, he was playing on a really good AAU team and all that. That helps. Uh, but still, uh, he was young. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he can do in Eric Mosman's system. I mean, he kind of fits that mold. He's super athletic. He's long, six foot seven. Uh, it sounds like he can defend. Uh, so it, it, I don't know how much he's got to do this year, you know, this coming season. Uh, but I think as he develops, I think he will be a really solid player. And who knows, maybe he could be kind of a guy, what we saw last year with uh, Devo and Jalen and that, you know, early on doesn't play a whole lot. You're kind of wondering what the heck's going on. And then as he learns the system and all that, maybe his role increases. So uh, just very, very fascinating addition and uh, uh, just kind of shows how, how Arkansas attacks the transfer portal, uh, getting both you know, seniors that are only going to be here for one year, but also some developmental pieces to go along with it. And he's a pretty big guy. He's grown since – uh, leaving high school, you know, he's six seven now, 193. He was listed at 170, and that's when he was ranked as a, a top 50 guy. Um, so he's only getting better. Uh, so that's that's a really good sign for Arkansas. But if you just think about how this roster has changed, the the competition level, I think, is a lot higher for minutes, uh, and that's not going to keep everyone happy. But I just think it's, you know, they're going to win more games as long as Musselman finds the right group of guys. Exactly. And the, the good thing about this year is that it sounds like it's not going to be as restrictive of an off season uh, as things continue to open up with uh, COVID and all that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe he's able to, to get it figured out more over the summer and, you know, preseason uh, practices and all that more so than last year. It's, it's going to be fascinating, but I do feel confident that the talent of this team from top to bottom you know, instead of having an Ethan Henderson or a Vance Jackson, those kind of guys at the bottom of your rotation, I think the guys there this year are going to be uh, much better and uh, more likely to contribute, you know, if they need to, barring, you know, an injury or things like that. So he gives them um, 11 scholarship players for next season. They are all immediately eligible. They can all play. Um, and there's still two spots left to fill. Uh, we're currently watching a, a 2022 international prospect, Bobby Clintman. He, he's considering uh, a potential reclassification, uh, and he could potentially join Arkansas for this year. He's a six foot eight forward. Uh, so keep an eye out for that one. Not sure uh, what the status is on that in terms of getting that worked out and his decision with reclassification, but uh, that would be another more developmental type addition uh, to go with Chance Moore. Uh, there was some rumors floating around that one of the assistants might try to pull away Chance Moore, take him to uh, one of their uh, new spots like Aikol Mowain. He ended up at uh, at Oklahoma, as we all expected, after David Patrick left Arkansas. But Chance Moore, uh, his parents have both, you know, shared messages. They're very excited. He's going to be here very shortly. Uh, so that is good news for the Razorbacks. But, you know, still two more 
spots left. And I mean, it just feels like the whole team is different. I know only four like really major contributors left, uh, but it's just, it's going to be just like last year, I think. And you, you're right. They will have a lot better um, opportunities to get to know each other. I, I imagine most of them are already vaccinated. We haven't asked Eric Musselman yet, but we can do that next time we talk to him. But I assume like the football team, they're almost all vaccinated and things will be able to get back to normal uh, for them. They also added a third assistant coach, uh, Keith Smart, a three-time NBA head coach, worked with Eric Musselman. Uh, it was it was a wow hire, I think. Uh, we didn't necessarily know who it was going to be. I mean, there were uh, some some uh, signs of the direction they might go in. Someone with NBA coaching experience, obviously someone that has worked with Musselman before, but uh, Coach Smart didn't even have a Twitter. So unlike Gus Arginal, who was following all the players and even some recruits and stuff, there wasn't really a tip-off point. So we had to wait for that news to break, and uh, Eric Musselman announced it himself i think he was the first one to do it uh on wednesday yeah it's it's an interesting hire and if you're sitting here asking yourself keith smart that name sounds familiar well that's probably because you remember watching him play for indiana in the late 80s uh, hit the game-winning shot to beat syracuse in the national championship game uh didn't really do much in the nba kind of bounced around everywhere as a player overseas and in the minor leagues including a one-year stint with the Florida Beach Dogs, coached by one Eric Musselman. So not only did he work for uh, Coach Muss in the NBA with the Warriors, he also played for him. And so it's just another guy that, that Eric Musselman has worked with in the past, just like Gus Argel, just like Clay Mosier. Uh, so uh, any concerns of, you know, assistant coaches coming to work for him and not knowing what to expect and kind of getting burnt out and run off, uh, I think could be a little bit alleviated by this strategy of, of bringing in guys that already know, okay, Eric Musselman's a little bit crazy uh, in a good way uh, because we've seen the results on the court. Uh, and so they maybe will, will stick around, you know, ideally, you know, for more than just one or two years. Uh, the only concern I think is, um, you know, adjusting to recruiting high school athletes. Uh, but, you know, Arginal's done it. Mosier's done it now for several years. Uh, Eric Musselman, handles a lot of stuff himself as well, as well as some of his other uh, support staff. So I'm not really concerned about that. When you look at their years of professional level experience, that is a selling point more than anything else. Even when we talk to kids now, they already said that and the staff just added so much more uh, with these guys. And I'm anxious to ask Eric Musselman about this, but I, I wonder if Musselman sees a little bit of himself in Keith Smart in that, you know, Musselman was an NBA coach, minor league coach, bounced around multiple places before finally uh, breaking into the college ranks kind of late in his career uh, as an assistant coach. And, and I'm wondering if he's kind of thinking he might be able to do the same thing with Keith Smart and, you know, say, bring him in, kind of teach him the ropes and uh, get going like that. I mean, it is, it is a little bit of a concern with no college experience, but uh, Eric Musselman should know as well as anybody how to, to mentor a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked to him yet. I'm excited to hear how all of that went down. That's always uh, good to find out just, you know, who courted who, how did that talk go? It's obviously a big decision 
to make that step into the college ranks after being a uh, NBA coach for so long. Uh, but I'm excited to hear uh, how that went. I don't usually bring up individual new offers on the Hogbeat Hour, uh, but there was a very intriguing one sent out by Eric Musselman and his new staff this past week. Uh, Chris Bunch, a 2022 prospect out of De La Salle in California. Uh, the Hogs haven't recruited California a whole lot successfully yet, but with Gus Arginal on staff, I think that might change soon. Uh, you might recognize De La Salle High School. I mean, it's a very uh, prominent national basketball powerhouse, but uh, it is now led by Justin Arginal, who is Gus's brother. So Arkansas has quite the in there with a he's currently ranked a three-star prospect but he's you know on the border there between three-star and four-star he's ranked 126 in the national rankings and by all accounts he's a guy that could definitely move up uh, once you know evaluators get to see him in person 6'6 180 pounds small forward he can guard um, people at different positions because of his length and size uh, a lot of room to grow. So that is definitely one to watch in that 2022 class with the connection uh, to the Arginal family. So keep an eye out on him. The Razorbacks have had several um, pitchers enter the transfer portal. Uh, tell us about those. Well, first of all, I know the first thing people are going to say when they hear about this news is, what? Why in the world? The season's still going on. There's two weeks left in the regular season. Why are they leaving? They're quitting. Uh, but you have to understand in, in college baseball, it's not very uncommon for, for pitchers to leave at this time of the year just because finals just ended. Uh, they're having exit meetings, the guys that aren't playing much. Uh, so that kind of leads me into the news of uh, three guys that have, have entered the portal so far. Uh, Nate Wolgamuth is probably the biggest name. He's a true freshman. He was a top 50 recruit. Uh, big-time heralded prospect. Uh, it was a big deal. Arkansas got him to campus just because he was a guy that um, could have potentially gotten drafted. Uh, the shortened draft this year probably played a part in that. Uh, it, the, it just never worked out for him, unfortunately. You know, Jackson Wiggins has been fantastic for Arkansas as a freshman, uh, playing uh, a little bit and uh, has the potential to be a you know potential ace down the line. Uh, Wolgamith, his couple outings this year have just been disastrous. He's, he's had a hard time finding the strike zone. I think he's thrown like 60 pitches and only like 20 of them have been strikes. Just not what you need out of an SEC pitcher. Uh, the other two, uh, Jacob Burton, he's a guy that's been here for uh, three years. He hadn't pitched this year because of an injury. Uh, he showed some potential as a freshman uh, little in, uh, last year uh, in the shortened season. A really good fastball, mid-90s, you know, up to 96, 97. Uh, just never was able to put it together, and the injury this year kind of prevented him from you know, having that opportunity this year, which is unfortunate. I think he'll be a guy that could, you know, if he could get the command issues figured out, kind of like Wolgamuth, uh, can be a good good pitcher down the line as well. And then the third is one I think maybe fans are going to be a little bit sad to see is, is Blake Adams because he's an in-state kid, uh, product from Springdale Harbor, you know, my hometown. Uh, he's been a, a fantastic baseball player. I, it's funny, I've actually watched him play since he was like eight years old because uh, he was uh, playing um, machine pitch baseball whenever I was keeping scorebooks at uh, the Little League fields uh, in high school. So kind of a, 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 an intriguing guy, and he was a, a two-way recruit for Arkansas. 
uh, actually hit the ball relatively well as a freshman in fall, uh, hit a home run, uh, but then started focusing on pitching uh, because he was a guy that they thought they were going to you know, really need to count on last year uh, in the 2020 season. And he actually was a game three starter on opening weekend. So a true freshman in the weekend rotation uh, didn't go great for him. Uh, who knows how it would have turned out last year if the season wasn't canceled. Uh, but then this year, it just he had a couple of really solid starts, you know, including a couple of scoreless innings against Louisiana Tech, which is a really good offensive team, uh, but then it just went downhill from there. His outing against Alabama was disastrous. He pitched in that 16-1 to massacre and gave up five or six runs and didn't even go a full inning, and then also didn't pitch very well against Memphis either. Uh, haven't seen him since then, so his lack of use since then uh, makes it kind of a, not a very surprising thing to see. You know, who knows? Maybe he wants to go somewhere else and pitch, change his scenery would help. Uh, good kid, and uh, you know I'm, I'm anxious to see where all three of these guys end up because I think they could be uh, good players for whatever program they end up at. I mean, baseball already had you know different eligibility rules than football, but do you see all three of these guys contributing at a high you know D1 level next year? Or could they go JUCO? You know, I, I'm not sure about Burton going, being able to go JUCO because this was his third year, but right. everyone had the year of eligibility relief. And, you know, he hasn't pitched this year because of injury, so I don't know how the red shirt. I don't know uh, with him. The other two uh, could definitely do that uh, just based on age-wise, but I see both of them ending up in another Division One program uh, just because their talent level. I mean, uh, I think Adams is ranked 101 overall. Uh, Wogameth is, I think, 44th in the country. And that includes guys that went straight from high school to the MLB after getting drafted. So uh, they, they are, are highly regarded guys and uh, wouldn't be surprised to see them end up somewhere, uh, you know, Big 12, something like that uh, here uh, next season. Talking about pitchers that are doing really well for Arkansas, uh, you're working on a feature on Kevin Copps. Give us just a little tease of some of the nice little tidbits you've gotten out of that. Well, I could tell you right now, before this season, I would have never imagined I would be interviewing the team nutritionist uh, about beet juice. But here we are. And uh, that's, that's what Kevin Copps kind of credits. That's his secret to all of his success this year. Uh, so I, I got some good information on that and how that kind of, you know, might actually be something. Like he may not have just been joking. Uh, there, there may be some, you know, science behind it. and uh, Just some really good stories. You know, we had a chance to ask Tony Vitello, uh, obviously the big series against Tennessee coming up, and Vitello was an assistant coach here for a while, uh, actually helped recruit Kevin Copps, and he gave some good uh, interesting stories as far as that is concerned. So uh, it's it's going to be chock full of, of great little uh, tidbits and, and stories about Kevin Copps as well ju as just his absurd numbers that he's putting up this year. I mean, leading the country at ERA, racking up incredible strikeouts, his swing and miss rate. I mean, just all of his numbers are just absolutely ridiculous. So really excited to get this story finished up and uh, hopefully it'll be up on Hogbeat Friday, uh, hopefully by Friday afternoon. I gave beet juice a shot back when I used to run, you know, half marathons and such. Have you ever tried it? Because I feel like, you know, to accurately describe it in your story, you got to give it a little taste. 
Uh, no, I have not, and I do not plan on trying it. It just does do not it. sound appetizing to me. It's not but, very good. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, maybe if I was still, you know, in high school and playing sports, it could actually benefit from it, maybe. Uh, but I really don't know if I need all those, uh, you know, the nitric oxide and all those things uh, to just sit and type on my computer all day. <laughs> I'm just saying, you could get very Bob Holty in your description of it. It's, it's earthy, bitter. I don't even know. I don't, I, beets are gross. I'm, I'm Russian and I should like them because of, you know, borscht, but I, I never liked borscht. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the football team. They also had a transfer um, earlier this week. Uh, Nick Fullwider, the defensive lineman out of Georgia. He initially committed to Brett Bielema, stuck around, uh, signed with Chad Morris and played five snaps on defense in his three years on the Hill. So uh, many of you might have even forgotten who he was, but I remember there was a time when people thought, you know, where's that guy? Where's Nick Fullwider? Cause he's a very large human being. Yeah. I mean, he, I know there was a lot of talk like on our message board that as big as he is, and he got up close to 300 pounds, you know, why not? I think he's six, seven, I want to say. Uh, there was some talk like, Hey, why not move him over to the offensive side of the ball and try him out as an offensive tackle or something. And, you know, obviously Jeff Savage, our resident offensive line expert, said that that's not necessarily something you can just easily do. Uh, and who knows, maybe that's just not something he wanted to do. And uh, props to him for sticking it out for three years, including two years of, of Chad Morris. I mean, that, that, he deserves some credit for that, at least. And now uh, I, I hope I, – I wish him nothing but the best as he finds a, a new home and maybe somewhere he could actually get on the field and, and play a little bit. Yeah, because of the eligibility relief last season, he could transfer and still have three years to play. So, you know, to some coaches, he's still a very attractive uh, prospect. As far as how it impacts Arkansas, I don't think it does very much. Wasn't really in line to play. They have already uh, filled the spots, replacing guys that actually were going to contribute, like a, a Jonathan Marshall, uh, like a Julius Coates. They got, you know, the two Missouri defensive linemen and the Illinois State uh, behemoth. Uh, so they've, they've got that covered, uh, and there aren't really spots to fill. They just have um, four uh, walk-ons that they need to award with scholarships to get them up to the 85 limit by the time the season starts. And there are plenty of good candidates for that. Um, thank you everybody so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour. Uh, the Razorbacks begin the series versus Tennessee on Friday at 5.30. We'll have coverage of that on hogbeat.com, of course, and a live game thread coming from Hutch. So get on Hogbeat, use code HAWGS30 for 30 days free. Have a great weekend. Yeah. <laughs>